Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, sometimes news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And we are happy to have you joining us. Very often at the beginning of Sword and Laser, we begin with a drink. We do. Uh, what, are you, what are you imbibing this evening? This evening? I, I, I like that we're doing evening, so I never feel like I have to be careful, whatever, running off to Pilates. What are you drinking this morning? <laughs> this morning, I'm having, uh, this is not my favorite scotch, but it is a solid scotch. It is the scotch that Ron Swanson prefers on Parks oh. and Rec. It is Lagavulin 16-year. Oh, <laughs> Ron Swanson. <laughs> Please and thank you. <laughs> That's great. I'm drinking brosé. Brosé. What, what makes no. it brosé? Eh, nothing. Nothing. Nothing makes it brosé. It's rosé. Are rose. bros drinking rosé these days? Is that a thing? There is. I, I'm pretty sure there is actually a wine called brosé. Uh-huh. I think it's like a hipster thing. So to because uh, bros may not think rosé is man enough, like they mm-hmm. worry. So you have a brosé, mm-hmm. so they feel comfortable. Like no, 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 dude, this isn't rosé. This is brosé. No, you have to say nah, bro. Nah, rosé. Right, of course, I, I do. I don't. I have really a hope that's their tagline. Accent. Give it like nah, bro. Rosé. <laughs> nah, bro. Nah, nah, yeah, bra. No, that sounds wrong. I don't. I found. I sound like some kind of weird combination of a valley girl. And like maybe a little bit of a Bostonian. Yeah. Dude, bra. You're a Providence Valley girl. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enough on that nonsense. Let's jump into the quick burns. So Terp Kristen, whom we love, uh, posted on our quick burn thread. There's a Witcher stamp. It seems based on the game, not necessarily the book. But how cool is that? And in fact, yes, Poland has an official Witcher stamp postage stamp with Geralt right there on the stamp. Geralt? Yeah, whatever Geralt. you said. Whatever you said, bro. <laughs> it looks awesome. It does look totally awesome. He's got great eyes and gray hair. That's what he looks like. Mm-hmm. That is what he looks like. It says, it's not the best pick of Geralt ever, who appears to be very sleepy from having sex with everything, or perhaps <laughs> a drug habit taken up to cope with his newfound oh, no. celebrity status. It's just he's got like, he's got witchy eyes, which I don't really imagine him having in anything. He doesn't usually have witchy eyes, does he, in the game? <laughs> yes, he does. Does he? Okay, I haven't played the game. He always has the same eyes. I'm just saying, from, oh, that's from, right. from reading the book, I don't, I don't think of him as having particularly witchy eyes. He has um, snake eyes. Okay. Well, then that's what the stamp is showing. It's definitely the game, Geralt. Thank you. You did good. You're welcome. Bienvenido. <laughs> Wait, no. Lo siento. <laughs> Con permiso. Con permiso. <laughs> Can we go to uh, the next story? 
Yes, Stephen says, if the sheer number of characters stops you from attempting to start Stephen Erickson's Mazalon series, Mazaldlon, Mazalon. <laughs> Mazalon. Oh, no, Malazon. Malazon? <laughs> that is both congratulations in some alien language and a uh, vacation destination. <laughs> Tor.com has listed the characters of Gardens of the Moon with artist renderings. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Malazon. Malazon. I'm probably overpronouncing it now. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know that that's why I haven't attempted to start Steven Erickson. Uh, it's more just that there are too many good things in the world, and this is uh, something I haven't yet got around to. But yeah, if you're if you're overwhelmed, or if you're like, hey, I'm gonna start it, this I think this is just a, a helpful tool to to be able to keep your bearings. You know what's cute, and I feel bad for calling him out for this, but so the link that uh, Stephen actually linked to mm-hmm. is not just the post, but a specific comment. Okay. And that comment has been left by someone named Leveler Steve. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is on Perhaps the tour the site. the same Stephen. This is on the tour site. Okay. And it says, ah, you left out Hairlock. I could have done with an artist depiction of Hairlock giving Perrin the evil eye. <laughs> oh, would could oh. you have Leveler Steve? <laughs> I mean... Perhaps you've met our friend Steven from the Goodreads Forum. <laughs> I just thought that was really cute. That I hope funny, I hope that yeah. is in fact you uh-huh. uh, complaining oh, oh, because a specific is, right? character you love is not not one of these represented. If it was me, I would have had this page open to my post, right, mm-hmm. and then been like, "Oh, well, I should I should you know cut and paste this link." The artist's renderings, though, are are pretty great, yeah. and. Um, yeah, they're pretty neat, but I I can definitely see like commenters get get kind of bummed out sometimes when when characters don't look the way they imagine them in their minds. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's a, it's a long list, mm-hmm. and I am very upset that the Star Trek TV series delayed story just started auto playing video Cinema Blend. Ah, oh, with name and shame, people who auto play video, CNET. <laughs> Um, our former employer, we love you. Yep. Stop we, auto we love video. You. Uh, yes. So Trike posted the Cinema Blend story that Star Trek Discovery is delayed. But the good news in that is that even though we're not going to get it in January, as we had hoped, the reason they're delaying it is that they don't want to cheat us out. They said they really just want to make sure that the quality of the special effects and the edit and the world they're creating is up to Trek standards. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good standard to live up to. Yeah. So now, now we're looking at May 2017. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. <sighs> running out of shows to watch. Um, but speaking of shows are, that... Are, uh, what? He- hold on, Brie You're running out of shows to watch? I just... I don't have a ton of time, so I prioritize things. Yes. I don't know, Tom. I guess that was a lie. There's just too much television. Let me direct you to Cord Killers or it's spoiler in time. I for loads know. Loads of suggestions. Uh, and Westworld's coming. Westworld is this, coming. Am I going to be too Sunday? nervous? Yeah. Am I too scared to watch that? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be too scary for you. It's, I, I know. I don't think so. It's no? not more scary than Game of Thrones. Okay. Okay. At least, I, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I could be wrong, but the premise isn't super scary. Okay. Well, another show that did give me a little bit of the creepies, a little bit of the scaries, 
was The Magicians. And Tamahome says, NSFW version of The Magicians TV series released online. Now, if they could do the same with Ava Sarala and The Expanse. So, uh, so when I clicked on this link. NSFW means not safe for work. That means yes. it's a dirty version. Well, for anyone who didn't know. in my mind, I'm like, well, how much dirtier is it going to get? And then uh, apparently they just leave in all the curse words oh, and like really? a lot of swearing. Yeah. And okay. Okay. I thought they meant like straight up sex Right. Stuff. Because there's lots of sexy times in The Magicians. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of, you know, fade to black situations. So you were thinking instead of fading yeah. to black, it just, the camera stays on a little more. <laughs> yeah. I guess. And we go, like when they turn we into go little Cinemax, foxes, the magicians. They, they go like they go up to the Arctic or wherever they were and, right. and yeah, have yeah, their yeah. little foxy sexy times. Like mm-hmm. maybe like Although are they gonna they show are, that? They are in fact foxes at that point in the story. So right. is that I okay? I don't know that I would want to that. I have so many questions. So many questions. So many questions. Uh but no, it's just the bleeped out stuff is not bleeped out. And that is why Tamahome says if they can do the same with Avasarala on The Expanse, because she is a well-known cursor in the books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe in the show that she gets bleeped, or not bleeped, blanked. They don't bleep anymore. They just blank. Um, the blanking is so weird. I feel like that really takes me out of the, of the TV moment. Um, yeah, it's weird. I know what you mean. <laughs> did you just do it? Yeah, I did. Did you just <laughs> That was really good. That Thank was you. funny. That was funny. Um, I'm trying to think what show I've been watching recently that they do that all the time on, and it's been driving me crazy. Oh yeah, uh, there is a there is a regular show that does that, and oh, the name of that show, well, Mr. That Robot. Na- yes, Mr. Thank Robot. You. Does it. Yeah, thank you. That is a hundred percent what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. it kind of drives me nuts. And I wonder if they'll do the same thing. Where they release an uncensored version where you just hear them say it. But, I mean, those are t- technically not safe for work, right? Because of the cursing. But it's almost over-promising because I get what they're saying when they blank it out. Like, right. It's not like I really lose a piece. And also, what are you doing watching TV at work? Stop watching TV at work. <laughs> if your boss catches you, they're going to be mad. Get back to work. You should be working at work. Save that. Have some work-life boundaries that works both mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you're saying, well, I don't have time to watch it at home because I'm working, stop working at home. Mm-hmm. Lean out when you're at home. Lean in <laughs> yeah. when you're at work. Is that right? Do I have that That's right? That's right. That uh, seems reasonable. Yeah. I've been reading these books. Mm. so What know. does a Nokomis.fl say? Oh, that would be, uh, if you like The Expanse, you'll be happy to know that Alan Steele's Coyote has been optioned for television. This is a really uh, interesting article over at The Verge, if you get a chance to go take a look at it. Of course, we'll have the link in the show notes. Alan Bain has a production company called Bain Frame. <laughs> which is an, kind, kind of an awesome name to be to be honest uh the purpose like of this company is to find television and movie deals for classic sci-fi and when we say classic sci-fi we're not talking about hg wells we're not even talking about the 50s <laughs> we're just talking about books that are a little older they're not current so the expanse was sort of pitched right from the start. And and John Scalzi has been pitching his his books right from the start. That's kind of the norm now. As you write a book, you get it, you know, some good sales numbers, and then you take it right to options. Older books kind of fall off 
the radar because of that. So Bainframe mm. has sold options for Robert Heinlein's The Man Who Sold the Moon, Octavia Butler's Dawn, uh, and now Coyote uh, is the third one to get option from the company. And that is a book from 2001. So it's a 15-year-old book. And the best part about this story is that Alan Bain apparently saw a comment on io9 about Coyote. And that is what got him to investigate that book. Like, oh, I hadn't heard about Coyote. I'm going to go wow. check it out. And uh, he got so into it that he decided to pick it up as a as a potential option and got a deal. You know, these blogs, I really think they, they could have a big, they might catch on. They might have a big effect on things. I don't know. These internet websites. Yeah, I, I, I don't think people will ever give up newspapers. Mm, mm. People just Sagely like to nodding. feel print in their hand, you know? You just like to feel the smell. That, like to, that is still true. They like the smell of the dog's saliva on the newspaper after it brought it in from the front yard. <laughs> Clippings of grass. Oh. That would be nice. My dog won't do that. My dogs have I never. I don't know if she's ever seen a newspaper. (laughs) Well, that would be the other problem. Django's seen a newspaper. I'm pretty sure Sawyer never has. And and having them bring you the iPad is just not the same. (laughs) Django could probably pull it up. She could, you know, she could just like find the app, download it. I'd have to use my uh, my I you know my thumbprint to authorize the purchase. Uh, if you're wondering, like, okay, tell me something about Coyote instead of waxing eloquent about newspapers. Uh, Coyote is about the United States in the future having become an oppressive dystopian nation and decides to send colonists to a potentially habitable moon orbiting 47 Ursa Majoris, 46 light years away. But just before the launch of the ship, a group of dissidents steals the ship and replaces its crew, bent on starting out a new life far out in space. So. The the launch point of the story is this kind of dark, gritty, dystopian future. But the reason Bain likes it is the rest of the story is very optimistic. And he says, we need more of the optimism that has gone away. The Star Trek-like optimism instead of the the gritty Battlestar Galactica take. We're, that That's had its time. Let's get back to thinking positively. I think that's great. I mean, obviously, we all we all loved Battlestar Galactica. Of course, yeah. Uh, of course, but I, I am excited for a more op- optimistic perspective. You know, I, I've actually been reading um, Kevin Kelly's book uh, recently. Uh, the name is escaping me right now. Um, I'll pull it up shortly. But he he talks about utopias and dystopias, and how we're. I think I talked about this with you on yeah, DTNS yeah, on DT- a little yeah, bit, actually. And how we're really more close to uh, protopia, which is like a, a combination. It's like it's it's kind of like where we're at now. Every time we invent new technologies, we f- we also create new problems for ourselves. Right. And so that's really the battle. It's that nothing is ever going to get so dystopian and nothing's ever going to be perfect because we're always creating these new problems for ourselves in in line in tandem with these technologies that are supposed to make our lives better and we also solve problems so it's not entirely dystopian exactly exactly it's the inevitable is the is the book that i'm talking about understanding the 12 technological forces that will shape our future but at the same time you can't can you really write a book about a protopia like that that there's no there's not a lot of drama there Perhaps. Well, or maybe, maybe something the like the churn, right? Like, mm. I, I guess the the premise would have to be: Can we keep it a protopia, or is it slipping into dystopia? 
You know what I think a Protopia novel might be? Like um, Kill Decision by oh, Daniel yeah. Suarez. No, that's 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 all right on the verge. You're right. Um, and actually, I'm sure there's many, many more you could you could dump into that category. I would call Aurora Protopia mm-hmm. because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they it's not a utopia. Uh, and I, I guess we can't get spoilery, but we, as, as anyone who read it with us knows, it's not a utopia, but it's also not a dystopia. So they like get close to solving challenges, but they don't always solve them. Yeah, let's try to think. If you guys out there want to yeah. send us some suggestions for what you would consider a protopian book, um, Define let protopia us know. Again, for somebody who's like, wait a minute, I didn't quite get it. So I'm, I, I hope I'm doing this yeah, justice, yeah, of but, and, and in fact, I can't even remember what exactly it stands for. It's like progress and something. To it's when you're, you're, at. you're for topias. I'm pro. <laughs> That's not right. That's not but what right. the, but what the essential vibe again is that, you know, we, we create new problems as we create new technologies and new solutions to perceived problems. So we're in this constant state of flux where we are both making our lives better, but also bringing new problems into our lives. Um, so you could say like, oh, well, we have we have smartphones now. They're an amazing piece of technology. But oh, also now we have no attention span and people are constantly looking into their phones. And our, you know, our short term memory is, is we don't really have we don't rely on memory as much anymore because we know all information is at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just a kind of a crappy example, well, but, I've got but a, you know I've what got I'm a, talking about. I've got a quote from Kevin Kelly who oh, says, okay. I call myself a protopian, not a utopian. I believe in progress in an incremental way where every year it's better than the year before, but not by very much, just a micro amount. Almost all progress in science and technology, including computers and artificial intelligence, is of a protopian nature. Rarely, if ever, do technologies lead to either utopian or dystopian societies. Mm. And that's that goes the way you're saying is we introduce problems along with when we solve problems. And so we never quite get ahead. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the incremental change, I think, is is the big one, Um, you know, because we don't have as many people dying of certain contagious diseases anymore. But we've created other new problems. It's it's, Yeah. yeah. Well, now he, we he did it much population. more eloquently than I am. Right. Uh, a great protopian fallout is Alzheimer's. Um, a great example. I shouldn't say this is an awful fallout, but Alzheimer's was not an issue when people didn't live past 40s or 50s. That's very true. But as we extend life expectancy, it becomes a bigger and bigger problem because more people live long enough for it to affect them. Wow. Yeah. That's a really good example. That's a deeply Depressing good example, example. depressing yeah. example. No, I, I, my grandmother uh, had Alzheimer's uh, mm-hmm. into her late years. And yeah, it's my it's, grandfather also did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, on that note, Woo, protopia. <laughs> protopia. let's jump into barrier sword, which is our feedback from the audience. So we're going to start with a thread started by Callum in our Goodreads forum it says, hey, guys, I've been a member here for quite a long time. Just commenting here and there. <laughs> I love both sci-fi and fantasy, tending to jump from genre to genre as I finish each book or series, but I've come to a bit of a loss. I absolutely oh. love John Scalzi and have read all his stories twice. Wow. And I don't want to do it again. I want something fresh like his work. And, 
And thank you, Callum, for not saying, and so I am picketing John Scalzi's house until he writes me a new book. Uh, No, Callum says, I want more things in that vein. I've read The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. I'm eagerly awaiting the next one of those. But in the meantime, I want something like that. So suggestions for Scalzi-like stories is what you're asking for. Jay recommended uh, Lois McMaster Bujold and Brandon Sanderson, which I thought were interesting. I I, I didn't quite get the Brandon Sanderson in that, but maybe if you think more about about that, but I could see there's a little bit of of what Scalzi is to uh, Mm sci-fi. Sanderson can be to fantasy. I, I, I see that. I, I strongly agreed with John, uh, codename Nevitz, uh, who says Year Zero by Rob Reed, mm, yeah. which was pretty scalzy esque. And I would, I would definitely agree with that. It's, it's super fun. Um, maybe even, I, I, my brain just jumped right now to Ready Player One, uh, by Ernie Klein, just because it's I think the, the humor, yeah. the humor might be similar, mm-hmm. um, in some ways. Uh, uh, Phil says Robert Sawyer, uh, Flash Forward or The Terminal Experiment. What else Michelle, you got? Michelle recommended some Heinlein books that are in the Scalzi vein and also pointed out The Expanse by James S.A. Corey um, is is sort of broadly in that ballpark, kind of like Ready Player One. Andrew P. said, if you want an unwilling, snarky, humorous protagonist in a space opera, which is a fairly good definition of, of uh, some of the, uh, the Old Man's War series, then Andrew suggests Captain John Blackjack Geary from the Lost Fleet series by Jack Campbell. Hmm. Trike had a ton of suggestions. Um, he said R.M. Meluch's uh, Tour of the Merrimack, uh, The Myriad, followed by Wolfstar. Uh, George R. R. Martin has a collection of short stories about colorful characters um, uh, in Tuff, uh, Tough Voyaging. <laughs> Tuff, Tough Voyaging, T-U-F. Uh, that he has a ton of suggestions, too, and, and finishes up with, if you haven't read any of Larry Niven's known space series, you're in for a treat. Uh, these are the books Scalzi was emulating when he wrote Old Man's War. Start off with Protector, then go on to Ringworld. If you like those, there are tons of other books in the same universe. Yeah, I, I'd say what he's describing is less, here's things like Scalzi, and more like, if you want to explore his influences, you'll get pieces of 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 what he has it's almost like going back and watching old uh world war ii movies and kurosawa films to explore george lucas's roots right you're not going to get another star wars when you do that but you start to see parts of it when you see the dog fights in the world war ii movies you're like oh well that's what he was doing in 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 the uh the death star scenes and then you see kurosawa uh and you're like oh wait a minute those two comic characters are totally r2d2 and c3po so that's kind of cool yeah. And earlier we were talking about Dead Tree Editions. I know some of you out there still to this day hate it when we call books that. And I, I apologize. Um, but John Teloni says anymore if they're, pages. they're not. They're not. Them. But it does sound vaguely negative. I understand. Uh, John Teloni says, I just returned my <laughs> what? No, I just I, I kind of want to be like, OK, well, what's what's the better word? Is it uh, tree memorial, you know, on, honoring the tree editions? It's just a book. Tree, tree sourced. I, th- I, th- I think it's just tree artisan tree sourced. <laughs> artisanal, artisanal tree sourced <laughs> first edition. Um, analog. 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 Yeah. Analog books. Tree sourced that's, analog reading materials. That's turbo nerdy. Uh, anyway. Uh, he just returned his Kindle copy of The Last Wish, along with some other books that I'd recently borrowed in his voice. Um, all had plenty of time left on their loan period. I figured at minimum there might be an SNL member waiting for The Last Wish or the Alistair Reynolds series uh, made 
series made me wait to get it. So presumably others want to read it as well. Do peeps return books early when they're done or just let the loan expire? Mm. If I have a sense that a book is hot, I'll tend to make the modest effort to return. That's if it's an SNL book or if I had to put the book on hold to get it. For others, like my uh, my read of Discworld or The Wheel of Time, the books didn't seem to be in such high circulation anymore by the time I got to them, so I just let them expire. So this is interesting because you're not – you're not thinking of like a physical copy of a book you have to return, but it's still being treated the same way by the library or the service. So you still have to technically return it. Yeah. I just yanked my headphones out of my ears. I hope you guys all heard that on the other side. <laughs> heard a little Did you crash. hear that? That was, that was it wasn't, me. It wasn't very dramatic. I uh, got very like e- expressive with my hands talking about Kindle editions and yeah. returning to libraries. Okay, so in the olden days, when you used tree-sourced books, you had to uh, go back to the library physically to get more books. So it just made sense to return the books you were done with, right? Mm-hmm. There's sort of a natural motivation. I assume there's a limit on the number of books you can have out at any one time with something like Overdrive, but that the limit is high enough that it really just doesn't affect people much. So that's mm-hmm. not... Uh, motivating the return. And Aaron says in the thread that Overdrive doesn't even offer an early return option or he would return ebooks sooner. So, oh, really? Uh, the best he could do is set the checkout period to a minimum, but then what if you don't finish in time? Um, yeah. That, that's a very interesting question because if you do have, it sounds like in some cases you do have the opportunity to return it early. It does seem like being a good citizen to return it. The frustrating thing for me is there's no reason you should have to. There isn't an ebook that gets moved to you that deprives someone else of an ebook. It's an artificial limit placed by the publishers to say, well, we don't want this getting out of hand. So you can only loan out a certain number of virtual copies at a time. But that's the only reason there's a limit. There, there, there's an inexhaustible supply of these books because they're <laughs> digital. And wait, so they do it just because they don't want everybody well, to sign up for a library card and just start renting books? Is it, that it? Exactly. They don't. They don't want it. They there's a fear that if you if you let the library loan an, an unlimited number of books, that no one no one would ever buy a book again because they could just go to the library. And as we all know, that's what happens. Everyone goes to libraries <laughs> and doesn't buy books. It's definitely what's happening. It's the big issue of the day. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those like, well, it could happen, so we're going to guard against it, and then inconvenience everyone. Weenies. Such weenies. Grow up. Just grow up. Well, they're going to say, you should grow up. Intellectual property rights are an adult issue. Well, I do want, I just, I want, I want authors to get paid and I don't want us to have to pay anything. So there. I'm going to say something extraordinarily controversial. Mm -hmm. I don't think libraries should loan e-books. Mm. I don't I'm not. Mm. And when I say that, don't stop throwing things at your iPod and also get a phone, for goodness sake. Um, No, I say that because books are there shouldn't be a DRM. Books are an inexhaustible supply when they're digital. So the idea of libraries stocking them is ridiculous. You should either be able to access them through a library or not. They shouldn't be loaning them out is what I mean. So then should should libraries just not we just so you don't believe they should have digital books system. at all what we're in the we're in the process of working through 
our old prejudices, this this goes well beyond sword and laser stuff, but we our old prejudices are, well, we had a natural limit. We could only print so many books and we could only have so many books at a library because we had to buy them individually. Digital doesn't work that way. You can have an inexhaustible supply, but the publishers of music, movies, books, etc., are st- all their business models are based on a naturally limited supply, so they're trying to artificially limit the supply of digital items, and I think that is untenable, and in the long term, it'll be scrapped for something else. Now, it is right of you to say, great merit, what is that something else? And I don't think anybody has the silver bullet answer to that, but the idea of loaning ebooks is just absurd. You can't loan an ebook. You're pretending to loan an ebook. Mm. So what about all of these? So what if a book is only available in digital format and like many of our listeners who are our library members, their local library, what how did, so did they they're just not able to read that? No, no. I'm 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 saying something well beyond that. I'm not saying libraries should stop using OverDrive. I'm far far from that. That's kind of the best option you have right now. Libraries should be able to just let you access any book you want. Like there's okay. an infinite supply of digital copies. So where where authors and publishers should be making their money is not based on the supply of books. And up until now, that is the only way that is the best way, because when you had a naturally limited supply, that made perfect sense. Right. Right. Uh, and and so we need to come up with a better way to reward authors for their work, reward publishers for their assistance uh, and make sure that the readers are able to support that. Uh, and so in the meantime, probably things like overdrive and pretending to loan ebooks is the best we can hope for. But in the long run, that's, that's a silly solution. Like you're not loaning an ebook. It's not, it doesn't work like that. You're, you should, you should come up with this method. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there, that's why Hugh Howie and all of those people are interesting because they're the ones pioneering the idea of, okay, what if we, and, and Cory Doctorow, what if we give away our books? Can we also still charge for them? Is mm-hmm. there Are there other ways that we can monetize it? Uh, gotcha. And some things are working and some things aren't. And we just have to experiment. All right. Well, let's, uh, we have a, a kickoff of, well, not really a kickoff. We're just going to announce what the, what the book for next month is, right? Ah, yes. Uh, this one's kind of a good sword and laser pick because I have seen it listed on sci-fi lists as well. Oh, fascinating. So I, I actually have started it. Uh, we're going to be reading The Gollum and the Ginny. Or Ginny, Genie, Genie, I think Genie, it's Genie, like like Gin, but... the Gollum and the Genie. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, by Helene Wecker, uh, Helene Wecker, and um, this one was recommended to me by uh, Jason Snell um, of the Incomparable, Yay. and also you know been writing about Apple stuff, Mac stuff for for many many years. Smart dude. Um, and I ran into him at XOXO, and we we just nerded out for maybe an hour. We just talked about books nonstop, everything we've read in the past couple of years. And he just unbelievably recommended this over and over again, saying what a wonderful book it was. And I had kind of forgotten about it. And then the other day when I was on the Sword and Laser Twitter account and I was asking people for recommendations for the next month's book pick, um, we did have people recommending this one. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, that's that's the book that that uh, Jason was recommending. Like, I should definitely check this out. And so we made the announcement and people were really excited. And so I'm excited because I always whenever there's a good response, uh, this one uh, was also specifically recommended by Mel uh, Books and Sundry on Twitter. 
Um, and, and she said she adored the book. So I, I always get a really good vibe when people are super stoked on, on a pick. Uh, you know, I always want to expose people to new stuff, but it does feel good when they're excited about what we're reading too, just because they've heard good things. I am excited about it as well. It's been on my list of two reads for quite a long time. Uh, it's only been out for a couple of years, so not that long, but since it's, since I became aware of it a couple of years ago and it starts a long time ago, 1800s, era, late 1800s. Are you, are we kicking, are we kicking this thing off now or no, are no, we? No, 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 no. I'm just okay. giving you the barest tease. Okay. I'm not kidding. No, I don't have a kickoff document for it. No, uh, <laughs> but it starts late 1800s with someone who, uh, for many reasons has not married and then goes to someone who can pair, can make Gola. Gola. Gola? Yeah, multi the plural of golem. Is that so? I believe so. Oh. Now I'm starting to doubt. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I, I started it. It's wonderful already. I already love it. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's all you need to know to get you started. Uh, but it, go, it goes on from there. And obviously from the title, there's Genie. There's also Genie. Yeah, so the golem and the Genie by Helene Wecker is the October pick. Pick it up at your local library, perhaps, in the digital section, or in the paper version, available at a store near you, or an Amazon near you. All right, well, now it is time for our book wrap-up. Yes, I very much enjoyed A Fire Upon the Deep by Werner Vinge. Uh, my love for the packs, and we are going to get spoilery, uh, grew and grew. Wait, 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 what? Um, okay, so, Wait, Tom, what? Um, I didn't finish the book. You, you I didn't, oh, I don't. Oh, Veronica. I didn't finish the book, first I'm sorry. Of all, first of all, I commend your honesty. <laughs> I didn't, well, it's not, it's not honesty. I didn't want to be spoiled. <laughs> so it was purely self-interest. It's totally, well, totally full of self-interest. I commend your self-interest. Uh, and and before you suffer the slings and arrows of the sword and laser community, uh, mm -hmm. you, they should know that you just started a new job. So it, your schedule's been pretty full lately. It's been crazy. I, yeah. I like it, It's just been nuts. I, I, I've been reading every night. I've loved the book so far, but I'm still only like, you know, maybe not even 50% of the way through. Yeah. Um, well, shit. That's just I, horrible. What? <gasps> Josh Lawrence? What are you doing From here? the shadows. I was about Crashing to say, party. I don't know what we're going to do because we don't know anyone who's finished the book. Have you read A Fire Upon the Deep by Werner Vinge? I have read Fire Upon the Deep by Werner Vinge. And you even oh, know man. how to pronounce Werner's last name? Only because someone corrected Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody who doesn't know, Josh Lawrence is, of course, the composer of the Sword and Laser theme song uh, and performer, as well as one of our moderators on the Goodreads Forum. Well, I guess. So what do I do? I just leave? I guess I should just leave. I mean, we're going to spoil things about the book, Veronica. So what? how am I going to edit this show? Very uh, carefully. Very carefully. Very carefully. Yeah. And we okay. will tell you about the huge explosion at the end that kills everything. Hey, merp, merp. Nah, there's not. I'm just kidding. What were you saying, Josh? Well, how far did you... I can't remember how far you guys discussed in the first... Um, your first upon fire. Woodcarver just had the pups. That's, oh, that's as far as okay. I am. That's as far okay. as I am. 
Oh, okay. All right. So don't talk anything beyond that. I, I, I read a little bit beyond that, but not by much. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to assume that you guys won't say anything crazy spoilery in the very last couple sentences of your recording. That'd be great. Well, um, so Tom, right at the very I, end, we'll, wait. Ah. We'll, send up, we'll send up a signal when it's time for you to come back. Uh, okay. I'm going to go edit other stuff. We'll figure it out. All right. Thank you, Josh, for covering my butt. I appreciate Certainly. it. All right. Have fun, you two. I'm going to hang up now. So when the I loved how, oh, she's gone. Yeah, she's gone. All right. Uh, spoiler safe now. We are so spoiler safe. Uh, Deep into the spoiler zone. Josh, thank you for doing this. Let's start with the Tynes, the, the, mm-hmm. the pack intelligence. Uh, Joanna mm-hmm. started a thread on Goodreads that said there are basically two main plot threads in this book. The first is the blight which causes a ship to crash down on a primitive planet. The second is the sentient life on said planet. I'd actually read this book before, and I was annoyed to discover how much time was spent on the first, arguably more central part, which I had trouble caring about. I mostly like this book for the portrayal of the Tynes. So I thought I'd start a thread to talk about how neat they are. Packed minds! I love how they say things like, two of me. I like exploring the ethics of crafting a person or what to do when there's only a fragment left. I like how sometimes like getting closer to the humans and others find them creepy. And am I mistaken? Or is Pac-Mind signal-based radio? And is that why the jackets work? Ooh, I think she's right. I think, yeah. And, and of Are course, that's... Are the times packet switched? <laughs> I I think that could I think that could explain it. I mean, they GPRS. That's amazing. I had not thought of that, Joanna. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, I I I have to kind of agree with her in terms of. I mean, I, I love this book. First of all, it's it's probably my favorite example of space opera that I've ever read in terms of just offering a, a huge, sweeping, complex world and interesting characters and an interesting plot. But if there's if there's one flaw to it, it might be that the Tynes and what they are are so cool that they, they almost nothing nothing else can quite live up to that aspect of the book. I mean, when, when I read it for the first time, uh, this is my second read now, um, the process of being confused at the beginning of what, like a member, what's a member? Is that some like organ of theirs? What's going on just yeah, at the very yeah. beginning of the book? And then it clicking together what these creatures actually were, which happens pretty quickly in the book. But that might be my favorite moment of of kind of conceptual revelation in a science fiction book. That yeah, I've no, is it very elegantly done because I did not see it coming. Until mm-hmm, suddenly exactly. he just starts saying, well, two of the members. And I say elegantly because, and I mentioned this before, as you start to realize you wonder what he's talking about, he starts to give you more information so you can figure it out, which is good. Yeah. 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 Now, I was, uh, as Joanna, expecting a book about artificial intelligence based on the jacket copy, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they first introduced the Tynes, I love that they're pack animals and I love that they're dogs. But I, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to get tired of them really fast. 
I'm because <laughs> I'm like, I want an AI. I want I want uh-huh, these like uh-huh. you know super intelligent races of beings in the in the, you want in to the beyond. See the powers yeah, fighting like, each other. That's and... what I'm here for. I don't want to waste time on on cartoon Planet of the Dogs. I love dogs <laughs> and I love right. this concept, but I think this mm. might get old really fast. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It did not get old really fast. It just got better and better because again, he handled it really well where he didn't make them cartoony. He made them an example of the opposite end of the spectrum from the, what are they, the old, not the old ones, but, uh, old one, I guess was, was the one who infected fam, but the, but the, you know, the The, the powers. Yeah. yeah. The powers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he also made them sympathetic and interesting characters and different characters while still retaining their alienness, which I think is another thing that I think is, I I can't think of a lot of great examples of that in other science fiction I've read where something is, is very, very much different than us, but still is grounded in, or just the, the author is just skilled enough to establish them as characters that you get involved with. Like I was really sad when, when Scribner got assassinated oh, all yeah. over the place. I mean, that was assassinated just, all over the place. Is right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or even, or even when, um, Joanna lit into him when he tried to do his like, Oh, don't you, don't you think I'm smart? But look, look at all the good thing. Look at all the nifty things I've done in my, my diagrams, his little book of all mm-hmm. his kind of half baked yeah, yeah. ideas. And then she was like, she was kind of playing along with him. But then when he, when he mentioned, uh, Peregrine, which she calls Scarbutt, she was like, you know, she, she just tore him apart and he like kind of whimpered and ran out yeah, of the room. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, Oh, poor, <laughs> poor, now, poor poet. Uh, there is an alternative to perspective on this that doesn't like that very thing you just mentioned, which is the alienness. Jeremiah said, look, I love this book. I really do. The book is great, but it does play into a pet peeve in science fiction of mine. Anytime I read the point of view of non-human characters, it adds strain to my suspension of disbelief. So it's not just the tines, but it's it's also the uh, the tree race. I have a hard time understanding the mindset of some humans in history, and I share similarities with them. The more alien something is, the harder it is to accept that they think in a way which is similar to humans enough to be understood. Mind you, this is a minor thing. A well-written story gets past my issues with alien POV, but it also helps make a marginal book that much harder to get into. It took me a while to get into the sections with the tines. I do love the story, but that irritation affected my reading experience. I, I mean, I can understand that to a certain extent. I mean, there were parts of the Tyne point of view that just when they're, you know, because it's having to use English words when we're hearing their their own thoughts. And there, there are portions of that that did kind of break me out where even even though I know that Vinji is, is acting as a universal translator for the, the their thoughts – it, it's there were times when it was almost too relate. I guess I have maybe maybe this is a variation where it was almost at times too relatable. The the kind of associations they were making or relations, though there were other times where he did a really good job of having them use metaphors and and ways of looking at the world that were based on their 
pack mentality. And when so, a further post by Jeremiah says that's what bothers him. He says, I think mm-hmm. my pet peeve relates to the notion that they would have human conte- concepts like sarcasm or sense of humor. The pack mindset mm-hmm. should be completely incomprehensible. Our minds are not fragmented in that way. Language should also be equally alien. How do you have sarcasm in a species that thought sharing is part of its makeup? Why would it have anything like our politics? Uh, and he says, I, don't I get mean, me wrong. After a chapter or two, he, he got over it, but it bugged mm-hmm. him a little. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely still there's there there's a huge mix of projecting human characteristics on the aliens, both the Scrode writers and the Tynes. But there's also aspects where I think Vinji did a good job of trying to make their thoughts different and and showing how they related to the world differently. Uh, I mean, in terms of them having sarcasm or having politics and stuff they still see each pack as a distinct entity i mean it changes members over time and may have mutations of personality over time but still they have to relate to each other as pack to pack and then multiple packs trying to achieve achieve things as a society so once that's once that's on the table, I can at least totally understand politics. I mean, maybe you could say, for whatever reason, sarcasm would be out of the picture. But it's established that they have a pretty large range of emotion. And, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's really tricky because it's it's for a science fiction writer. I, I, I can't remember the name of the novel, but there's there's a fairly renowned science fiction novel that – I remember being lauded for trying to go as far as possible in terms of having an alien consciousness that was truly alien throughout the novel. And, and it's actually kind of bewildering to try to read because it's, it's not doing the things that Benji does in terms of making the times sometimes use human, human like associations. Yeah. I mean, there is, There is a problem if you say, I don't believe that any alien could be understandable, then therefore there can never be any aliens, and therefore almost a whole line of stories are ruled out. I don't think, for me, that it is impossible that aliens might share certain aspects of us, and mm-hmm. in the in the deep... Uh, in the deep well that we're in, in the primitive land that we're in, it's not impossible that these, that the Tynes aren't in fact an offshoot of human canines, not human canines, of, of canines from Earth. Mm-hmm. Human Which, canines would be very interesting. <laughs> that's all different. Thing. Uh, and if that's the case, as a dog owner, I can tell you that the pack mentality <laughs> is understandable. It, uh-huh. It's it's not entirely alien Uh can we say for sure that we understand how dogs think? No, you've got a good point, Jeremiah. But because we can interact with dogs and make them part of our packs and become part of their packs in a way, we they're certainly relatable. And so I think picking dogs was the best example for Vinji to say, hey, here's a species that we are essentially codependent with. Uh, we are mm-hmm. a dual species. They depend on us and we depend on them in many ways. If you're not a dog owner, that may that may seem unusual, but they they are like the familiars uh in, in Pullman's novel. Like they uh-huh. they they are we are almost a co-species, and cat owners I think can see that too. So 
I think they could potentially have sarcasm. I think they absolutely would have politics. I mean, the politics right. of dog packs are evident now. If you add intelligence and communication, uh, I, I think that makes it reasonable. So the tines are the least example to me of the problem. And I think mm -hmm. I think you kind of hit on it, Josh, which is with the Scrode writers, that's something that should be incomprehensible. But the the thing that happens is he says, ah, but we have this computer that right. translates the thoughts into speech that is understandable to humans. So that's the cheat, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then the powers are are he he basically does what you want, Jeremiah, and says, "Yeah, they're incomprehensible. Yes. We there's no way we can communicate with them." Right. Yeah. And that and I think that's kind of probably why Vinji decided to not make what you were asking for earlier of when you when you started the book of the story about the powers because then then that's that's a very difficult thing to both write and comprehend. You yeah. know, I, it's 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 an interesting problem to try to approach. But and Jeremiah, if you didn't already, maybe you read it when we read it for Sword and Laser. Uh, and if you did, I'd be curious what you think about it. Read Ted Chang's story of your life because mm -hmm. that short story yes. is absolutely about the incomprehensibility of an of of an alien species and humans trying to interact. All right. One last thing uh, from Sean about the fire upon the deep. One of the most memorable aspects is the inclusion of the Usenet style discussion groups. <laughs> when Vinji wrote the book in the early 90s, Usenet was at its height. And in fact, many of the characters in the book are based upon real Usenet posters of the time, including Twirlip. So the whole thing came off as a cool in-joke for those in the know and completely alien to those who weren't online yet. By the early 2000s, those views had changed. By that point, Usenet was yesterday's technology, and the idea that aliens would be using something like it tens of thousands of years from now was a bit absurd. But I wonder how it stands up for today's readers who have no clue what it is. Does it come off as just another internet message system on a galactic scale, or does that primitive Usenet nature shine through? Yeah, it was... It was interesting when I read this initially, I think it was 10 or 11 years ago, and I had been, I, I had posted a few times on Usenet, but I definitely had lurked in, in several, uh, several Usenet groups. So I definitely recognized it immediately when it popped up in the novel. And it did seem to me when I was reading it that time as like, oh, this seems like a kind of awkward extrapolation into the future to have this very it just seemed to me something that was very specific to 90s and in late 90s computer communication and, and culture online culture and to have that be the the choice for galactic communication in this you know far far future Vinji is imagining seems strange to me but on this second read, and also based on some comments in that thread, uh, I can't—I don't remember which poster it was, but someone basically said, "You know what? It in terms of the limitations that are discussed in the world Vinji is set up of communication and technology for for these lower lower zones, it actually does make sense for these text-only messages." to be the best form of communication on a on a galactic scale and and so i that didn't bother me at all this time i i i thoroughly enjoyed them yeah i i feel like the only part that stuck out to me wasn't that they were using a usenet style communication system because 
we still have, I mean, Usenet still exists and there's still, uh, there's still Google ate it up. Yeah. There's still those threaded (laughs) forums, uh, and, and things that are similar. It was the, the way he handled the protocols that were Mm -hmm. so very Usenet, like received by translated to like, that's the kind of stuff. Post, uh, what is it? Post cross. Yeah. Yeah. To blah, blah, blah. To this group and that group and this group. Uh, that mm-hmm. was very Usenet. So that stuck out to me as feeling a bit old fashioned. But just the idea of a low bandwidth way to send communication across these galactic distances actually fit pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So except for those little protocol bits, I feel like the majority of the technology that he uses does not feel dated even as far away from the early nineties as we are now. Right. And I, I loved, I just loved how much it, those, those varying messages and the varying viewpoints that were taken reflected the, the internet penchant for, you know, conspiracy theories and, and tearing down one poster after has only gotten more like that, not less. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that, that stuff really resonated strongly. Uh, well, that is it for a fire upon the deep. Uh, Josh Lawrence, thank you for stepping in and pinch hitting. Sure thing. Uh, if if people want to follow you, where should they go? Uh, I am on Twitter as Joshua Lawrence, and uh, I don't have many other web presences right now. I have several well, in have your gestation, good read presence, but... which I guess is oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, just look for it's just Josh, right? Is it Josh? Is yeah. It? Oh, it's just Josh Lawrence. Yeah. Josh Lawrence. I've been, I've been bad about tweeting even recently, but yes, follow <laughs> me there. Encourage right. me to tweet again. Awesome. Uh, well, again, it was very kind of you uh, to step in. This was a great discussion. Sure. Thank you, Josh. I'm back now. Oh, now you're back. I'm back. Oh, fine. Why are you back? Did you guys have fun without we me? Did you just missed Josh? He was amazing. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> That's what I get. That's what I get. That's what I get. That's no, what I get. It's fine. That's what you're I busy. get. No, as we said, you're busy. A new job Don't judge. And... Don't judge her. People. If it makes you feel better, I have not even started the vaginal fantasy pick for this month, and wow. it's on Tuesday. I did I did just realize that you said you started Golem and the Genie. On audio. All right, fine. Hey, on our, audio. Our, sh- our show is done now. Our show is done. Okay, fine. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Uh, so thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you want to help support us, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. By the way, new monthly silliness up tonight. So go check that out for all you patrons at that level. It's pretty yeah. silly. Yeah. Uh, and I, oh, I forgot until just this moment that I wanted to do a shout out. And I don't think I'm logged into the right account to do it. Okay. Uh, but huge shout outs to all of our friends and family and the people fighting overseas. <laughs> are you are you are you stalling for time? I, I was trying to stall. <laughs> well, I don't even know what you're stalling to try to do. Um, I was going to try to log in to the Sword and Laser Patreon. <laughs> and I, I, I had this great idea earlier today. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was going to do this and then I totally forgot about You're it. You're still stalling. Just now when I saw <laughs> that we, in fact, do have a part in our rundown that says we should thank 
the patrons by name. And <laughs> I was going to do that. No, the idea was I was going to look at who most recently actually backed our Patreon. Okay. And I can't even log into our Patreon. Now. If I click on this, I can log in. So I'm just going to do that. If you're that. already logged in. Yeah, Will that just, work? Yeah, just do that. I okay, I'm already logged in. did not prepare very well for this. I'm All right, so the first person who most recently pledged? Yeah. Thank you to Shane Hazard. Shane Hazard! Thank you. And thank you also to Rebecca, who upped her pledge Rebecca by $2. Rebecca is the best! You guys rule. Thank you very much. That is very exciting. And uh, so thank you all. And, and if you want to pledge in the future, we'll read your names out too. Yeah, without as much delay in the future. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash books. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us an email at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash the sword and laser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157sword6. And thanks again to Josh Lawrence for coming on the show the and helping Josh. us. Helping us with this book wrap up that I just couldn't get to. Man. Next time. Next time. You'll get you'll be back in the groove. Oh, you better believe it. We'll see you soon.